Hi, and welcome to the Voice of 5G podcast. It's a podcast from Ericsson with me, Paul Cowling. And me, Janina Taunant. Hi, Paul. Hello, Janina. Hi. Merry Christmas. <laughs> have you looked out the window? Did I look out the window? It's all covered in this white stuff. We have really December here in Stockholm. We have lots of snow and lots of Christmas feeling. And we want to wish everyone out there happy holidays because we've done a Christmas special, a holiday special. In Sweden, we are not very mm. religious. So we just call it Christmas or in Swedish, jul. But whatever you're celebrating out there, it's great. <laughs> and what are we celebrating? We're celebrating another year of 5G. We are, yes. And we're doing this with a little bit of a recap from all the episodes over the past year with some of the highlights. Maybe some of the lowlights, <laughs> who knows? Lowlights and highlights. Yeah, come with us and listen to what we've already talked about. How about that? Yeah, so the year in 5G, very quickly podcast style. What we've already talked about. So, Paul, we've talked about a lot of different 5G use cases during the year. Some of the highlights were we were talking about 5G in Scotland. That's quite a rural area um, with some special needs for 5G. Yeah, it's probably not such a rural area if you live in Glasgow or Edinburgh. But uh, yes, we did talk about the problems of rural coverage and 5G. Lots of interesting use cases. The connected brewery, if you remember. Yeah, I'm going there for, to have a, a whiskey shortly. <laughs> going there to have a connected whiskey. Might be a Christmas whiskey. But who are we going to hear from? It was the 5G centre. Yeah, your namesake, uh, but Paul Coffee, not Paul T. Yep. You are Paul T. <laughs> uh, Paul Coffee, and let him tell us a little bit about the 5G use cases for Scotland. And what sort of use cases are people actually interested in doing for real, so to speak? We get to talk a lot about use cases, but there's always that, well, are they real? Is that what people are really trying to do? Yeah, and I guess it's not that unique, really. I guess some of the, the geography constraints are, are unique. So, for example, salmon farming, aquaculture is a big one here. Now, you mightn't say that really needs 5G. It needs connectivity. You know, at the moment, you may have a, a salmon farm. They need to go out to feed the, the to feed the fish in all sorts of diverse and pretty horrendous weather conditions. So, can you automate that? Can you look at this, their health and the well-being, state of the salmon? Can you look at the weather conditions? They, right, we'll automate that. So, perhaps doesn't need all the nuances of five G, but through lower cost deployment that sometimes five G enables in a private context, you can go in there and deploy. Maybe start with four G and evolve it. Bit to 5G. So we're looking, starting to look at use cases like that around where connectivity could be the barrier. And then we overlay that with maybe AI and, and other use cases over the top of that. So social care, healthcare are big drivers in Scotland. When you look at, you know, the, the, the population, a lot of people in remote highlands and islands, how we can start to make a difference there with remote healthcare. And yeah, through the pandemic, we've seen, you know, 
introduction of you know early adoptions of of different technology and what we're trying to do is take it a step further how can 5g you know and 4g make a difference in in their spaces tourism creative industries and obviously industry 4.0 other sectors we're focusing on yeah tourism you can imagine being kind of interesting if you combine it with augmented reality going around and getting your guided tour of edinburgh or wherever Exactly. They're, they're kind of obvious applications, aren't they? Mm. And I guess the return of investment is, is perhaps, yeah, we need to look at that. But there's many, many areas across Scotland. Tourism is obviously a big, big driver. But you can also create on the back of that what else is in the surrounding area. So don't just deploy one network for one use case. And this is something we've been working with some other our, our, our partners, DHI and Census in, in Scotland around how you could deploy one network in a remote rural area and then look at the, the different use cases that could be adopted. So you could have a, a, a school, you could have a whiskey distillery, an industry, the salmon farm, a GP surgery. Then collectively, how could they share that resource and create a, a better return of investment in areas where arguably the commercial mobile operators struggle to make that pay based on your £30 a month consumer type tariff? Yeah, it's those areas that there aren't that many people to pay to, to put in a mobile network. It's just to pay for consumer subscriptions on doing web surfing and things. And 5G is less about that population density. It's, it's, it's not just connecting us, people, it's connecting things and uh, building the use cases on that. Talking about use cases, so Janina, one of the interesting areas is all about how do you connect uh, businesses? Like if you're running a state agency or you're running a supermarket with lots of chains and things how can you take advantage of the opportunities that 5g yeah me personally no Um, but (laughs) if you to walmart and you own the big chain of stores how then how can you take advantage of 5g yeah, we had Todd Couchcomer from Cradle Point on the podcast. And Todd came in to talk to us about the things that Cradle Point are doing in terms of connecting businesses. So they do these like endpoint devices for connecting to a mobile network that lets you run secure communications to your business. Yeah. Very interesting set of products, very widely deployed, particularly in the US. Also interesting customers, lots of interesting cases. But maybe we should hear what Todd has to say. What is it that's attractive for the enterprise about moving to 5G? Yeah, good question, Paul. What's attractive to the enterprise of moving to 5G? So we've seen in Q4 2021 and in Q1 2022, a huge uptake in 5G in the enterprise. So I, I got a good feel for it. And enterprises, I mean, these are some of the world's largest retail organizations. So if I were to say their names, you instantly recognize them. So I won't because I'm not yet able to. But they're large <laughs> pharmaceutical companies that have large retail organizations, 1,500, 3,000 branches, not unusual. And what they've seen now is they've seen enough value from 5G deployed at a couple of key sites where mid-band spectrum, some of this mid-band spectrum that is being rolled out by Verizon and AT&T with their C-band acquisition, some of the mid-band spectrum, of course, that we're seeing at T-Mobile, complements to their Sprint acquisition at 2.5 gigahertz, that's becoming a reality. So our customers are deploying at stores where that's available and they're seeing three, 400 megabits per second. They're going, wow, I wanna take advantage of that. So they're going through a refresh which they're going to live with for five years, Paul. And they're going, I might as well make it 5G everywhere because I know in the next five years that service will be everywhere. 
even though it's in a small footprint, maybe 10% of my stores today, in five years' time, it'll be everywhere. So I'm going to go all 5G versus refresh with 4G. And that's what we're seeing. A lot of that type of thinking within our large enterprise customers. Yeah, Todd works in this enterprise sector where they're connecting businesses. And then we also had on the podcast Staffan Eriksson from Telia, who were talking about other connections. The Internet of Things. So let's go over and listen to what he talked about. Ah, yes. So tell us a little bit about how we are launching IoT connectivity at the moment. Explain a little what IoT is as well, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's yeah. How many hours do we have? No, but this is a 5G pod, but I'm going to have to be a bit boring and take a couple of steps back because it, it all started with M2M, which was what it was called a couple of years ago. And that was based on 2G and 3G. That's machine to machine. Yeah, machine to machine, correct. And a lot of our customers are still on that. And as we're now facing the 2G, 3G sunsets, and this is a challenge for enterprises that have deployed applications based on cellular technology. It's great to see that we now are on 4G. We have enabled new possibilities for customers to improve their IoT solutions and create value in new ways to their customers. And this is very much thanks to the new standards from 3GPP around the low power wide area networks where you can roll those two flavors, the LTM and the NBIoT. And this enables our customers to start actually doing transformation, changing how they are creating value to the customers, how they're solving customer problems and how they're operating their own business. So with IoT and 4G, this is actually starts paving the wave into the 5G IoT. So I would say that IoT is lagging a couple of years behind when it comes to adopting new technology. It's easy to start rolling out 5G smartphones and get the consumers to start using that. But to get the enterprises to deploy 5G technology in their end-to-end solutions that are deployed out in the field, out in the real world, that takes a couple of years. So from a network perspective, what we see right now is a tremendous growth on the 4G technologies, the massive IT technologies. Yeah, can I just stop you for a second there? Because I just had a look. (laughs) I just had a look at the, because there is actually an article also in Ericsson Mobility Report about massive IoT growth. And now there is a lot of these short forms. Paul, should we do a very quick explanation? First of all, IoT that we talk about. I'm a fan of IoT, so it was... A long time since I started just using that trigram. But please tell us, what is IoT? IoT, the the Internet of Things. Yeah. So connected to the things, right? Yeah, that's why we're using the different communications technologies to connect devices together or to get to connect yeah, things. So that's anything from meters. Like the electricity meters. Sensors. Robots, cars, you've seen like connected cows and all sorts of different applications for connecting things together and being able to take information and then to process it and be able to take decisions based on that for your business or for your consumers or whatever it is you're trying to achieve. And people out there might have connected devices such as watches and other 
stuff connected to the network, right? Some of them yep. are connected. Those things as well. Yeah, some of them connected via Wi-Fi or other networks, and some of them are connected via cellular. Peter, any numbers there that sticking out in the forecast when it comes to Ericsson Mobility Report? Yeah, I mean, we're talking billions of devices here as well. And if we count all the technologies from 2G, 3G, up to 5G, then so actually worldwide, there are already 2 billion, around 2 billion cellular connect devices, IoT devices, actually. And we expect this to go up to 5.5 billion in 2027. There are different technologies here that will grow differently fast. But this massive IoT then that we're talking about, which is sensors that are low cost, long battery times, and they can be deployed in, in, in a massive way. I mean, you can have millions of devices out there and managed by an operator. Of course, that segment, we saw an 80% growth in 2021, and we expect that to, to overtake actually the 2G, 3G legacy very soon. So it's, it's exciting times for this shift from all networks to the 4G networks and then to the 5G networks, that stuff I mentioned, yes, that, that will happen with time. And I have to say, when it comes to Internet of Things, I do wonder whether it's, whether in years to come, Santa's going to have connected devices in his sack so that he can keep track of his inventory on his travels around <laughs> Europe. I'm sure he's going to hand over some of those devices already this year, but are they connected via 5G? I don't know yet, because the 5G ecosystem is still under development, I would say, and it takes a lot more for the 5G ecosystem to really be the ecosystem that it can be, like connecting devices, companies, enterprises, and really using those kinds of connectivity features that 5G can bring. So let's go over to listen to Hal Bao and Peter Linder. They were on the podcast talking about 5G ecosystems and Harald is starting to talk about what the 4G ecosystem was like. And then Peter comes in and talks about what 5G is. The first blog post is called Cellular Ecosystem and the 4G to 5G transition doesn't sound too interesting, just the heading, I would say. But describe what was the 4G ecosystem all about? What was it? So I think the 4G ecosystem, also if we compare it then to the 5G ecosystem, um, it is quite simple. It's a very homogeneous ecosystem compared to 5G as well. I think key for this one was really why we wanted to write about it. This is that there are many people that just think that 5G is a faster version of 4G. And that was key for us to address this question really and really to communicate what we think that, that there are big changes happening. And if you look at 4G ecosystem, then you would Typically, there is one device, one type of device, the smartphone that has been dominating the 4G ecosystem. And around the smartphone, everything was built around in the ecosystem. You had only one uniform connectivity, right? So no matter who you are, if it's an enterprise or if you're a consumer, you got the same connectivity performance. No matter if you have like a streaming video or no matter if you have a mission critical application running, it's the same connectivity for everybody, basically. And that is shared for all of the users of the 4G network and the, in the ecosystem. And then typically you had centralized clouds in the 4G ecosystem. So you could have very low cost to ho have host all the applications and all the data in one centralized cloud worldwide, ideally. 
And then when you think about the monetization and the distribution aspect of the 4G ecosystem, then th this was dominated by two app stores, right? From the app store from Apple and then the Android, the Google Play store. And where you have like the applications on and all the applications developer, they have immediately global scale with these two app stores. So that is how we see the 4G ecosystem being very much more simple and homogeneous compared to other ecosystems. Yeah. And then I guess that's the next question for you then, Peter. What's the big difference to the 5G? I think the big difference is that if you look at some of the key components in the ecosystem that we have in the cellular ecosystem, devices, connectivity, and there are changes on all three aspects of those ones. If we look at the devices, smartphone was the defining device for the smartphones is still very relevant and important for 5G, but only represent half of their launch devices today. The other half of the devices are spread over 24 different categories. So the we have device variety. The same thing is going on at the other end at the cloud. When we looked at 4G, everything was centralized cloud sitting quite far back in the network and optimized for lowest possible cost. Now you're starting to push out cloud capabilities to the network edge, typically in a large city, or even at the premises edge down to an, a large enterprise so that you can have the, the cloud located at business. So there's a variety of different locations, a little bit like when we go and shop in the supermarket. Sometimes we go to a very large supermarket a little bit further away, or we go run down to the 7-Eleven just around the corner. The same kind of philosophy there regarding where things are in the cloud, which changes the game. And the third game changer is essentially the connectivity itself. In the past, everything has been universal connectivity and everything is over the top without any prioritization of anything. But now with as we move into 5G, we've got universal connectivity. We started to talk about different slices of a network that can be used for different purposes and more access to different kinds of network APIs. What all of these things means is that we now can start to combining basic services with business critical services, where the whole business go down if they don't work, and mission critical services for things that absolutely are affecting life guiding processes and so on. So then we got more variety of connectivity, more variety of devices, and more variety of the different clouds. And the trick in the ecosystem, when you're putting it together elements for, for a 5G application, is choosing between these, what is the, for this device, what is the best connectivity and where should my cloud be located to deliver the right performance? So it's this expansion to more things and more options reach and everything. That is the big difference when you're looking at it from an ecosystem perspective. Yeah, at the end there, Peter talks about these slices, the different slices, as in network slices. And this is something that, that I think it was big at the beginning of this year. We started talking about RAM slicing and those kinds of things, really doing the slices for special needs of connectivity, such as blue light personnel, or that you have a slice for a certain type of communication, meaning you can pay extra for having the perfect gaming bandwidth and stuff like that. And when it comes to the blue light personnel, we had a really interesting talk with um, Carla Thompson from Verizon and also Blaise Vincent. From the Ericsson team. Yeah, from the Ericsson team. Talking about connected networks for emergency response, the Thor project. The Thor project, exactly. 
when there's a flood or a hurricane or something, you roll that in afterwards and set up coverage. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So Verizon, a very robust network with all of the available bands that we have in our pipeline, basically 5G, millimeter wave, anything. Right. So in most cases, you go around the country, you're going to see all of these technologies deployed. However, when we get into a disaster type of scenario, right? the network could be impacted by whatever is going on, even as resilient as Verizon's network is. It could be impacted where now we don't have millimeter wave in that location. How do we recover those low latency use cases that first responders need to operate? This is our offering to do that very thing is to recover those high quality, resilient use cases that first responders would need, right? When they go to respond and try to save lives. So Tor is rapidly deployable emergency response network solution. And when I say that, as Carlo rightly said, it contains a full-fledged network that is on a ruggedized vehicle, and we can drive the vehicle to the emergency where the emergency is happening and quickly bring up the network. The network contains the entire 4G, 5G millimeter wave and 5G standalone network functionality included in the vehicle, it can operate isolated without any other external connectivity. On top of this 4G, 5G network technology, we also have microwave links that are created from the truck to the trailer so that they can communicate as a joined logical unit between each other. On top of that, we have the satellite link created from both the truck and the trailer. So if any communication requirements are needed to the outside world, and let's say the entire terrestrial communication system is not working at the point, we can use the satellite system to communicate to the outside world. It also has a full-fledged operation and management system on board. So there is no even need of having connectivity for operations as well. You can operate it locally. And I say advanced use cases, The primary use case that we understood from the public safety community is the ability to communicate with each other. And when we look at what's the technology that's out there, it's the legacy two-way radio system that has been around for 20, 30 years. So we have enabled 4G and 5G communication to interwork with the legacy technologies. So multiple emergency groups that are coming for the response can talk to each other using their existing devices, as well as the new 4G, 5G smartphones they have without any changes. And once you have the ability to communicate with each other, the next important thing that they would need is the situational awareness. They need to know what's going on, especially when it's dark, when it's smoke-filled, when it's a big fire or when everything is broken down. They need to know the situation very clearly. For that, we use a range of techniques such as computer vision, cameras, drones, AGVs, body-mounted camera, helmet-mounted camera, all of that information can be brought back to the vehicle and processed locally using the application that is mounted there. And that can generate a real-time situational awareness information for the local commanding operations personnel. And he can in real-time communicate that back to the people who are working for the emergency. So one of the interesting things when it comes to looking at how we use 5G is like what happens to the data and how do it, you know, where does the data reside and what are the needs of the enterprise in terms of using data in the 5G network? And one aspect of that is edge computing. Mm. Where do you put the computing power? 
and where do you put the data storage for your application? And one of the demanding things that we see a lot of today is around the use of 5G, for instance, factories. Factories very often want good control over the information. And we've heard about that from Jitendra Manoka and from Carlos Bravo in an episode earlier this year, talking about edge computing and connected factories. Yeah, and I think they actually managed to explain this topic of edge computing so that even I understood. And now in the factory, there are applications that are being used, for example, uh, remote troubleshooting applications or within the factory manufacturing applications, which are hosted right at the edge. That means the latency, security, privacy, all those concerns are addressed by deploying in the private edge setup. That's one type of example. Then we have another example. In this case, you see mobility is not a very big factor. You are mobile within a very closed area, right? The second factor comes in with the, where the network edge plays a role. And in that kind of you know, edge, the mobility plays a big role. That means users are mobile, and as the users are moving, their application context also is moved towards different edges, and the SLA that has been promised to the users is being maintained. And that means you will deploy the applications in different locations within the network. And those locations could be like 10 miles or it could be 100 miles, depending on the application type. So that's the second type of edge deployment, network edge deployment. It's actually on the early days, but we see already use cases popping up that are actually using those new capabilities that come of the combination of 5G and edge computing, right? And we start seeing those, for example, in factories, right? We have discussed a use case where in the factory floor, you don't need to have people assisting on the production lane. You can have remote assistance using augmented reality. So the people that is in the factory becomes really full, you could say, self-sufficient with the assistance of people from remote. And you have a full overlay of what you can do in the factory. You can detect failures, etc. We've been investigating all the use cases where we use Edge for doing analytics and AI, so we can actually process a lot of data at the Edge that normally is, it is already generated, but it's not sent to the center location because it's very expensive. I mean, there's a huge amount of data. And now you can process that data at the Edge and you can detect, for example, failures or potential issues in the grid that will generate, for example, a fire hazard or a problem of the supply energy in a certain location that is actually critical. And now in the factory, there are applications that are being used, for example, uh, remote troubleshooting applications or within the factory manufacturing applications, which are hosted right at the edge. That means the latency, security, privacy, all those concerns are addressed by deploying in the private edge setup. That's one type of example. Then we have another example. In this case, you see mobility is not a very big factor. You are mobile within a very closed area, right? The second factor comes in with the, where the network edge plays a role. And in that kind of you know, edge, the mobility plays a big role. That means users are mobile, and as the users are moving, their application context also is moved towards different edges and the SLA that has been promised to the users is being maintained. And that means you will deploy the applications in different locations within the network. And those locations could be like 10 miles or it could be 100 miles, depending on the application type. So that's the second type of edge deployment, network edge deployment. 
Edge computing. And this brings us on to an area that we talked a lot about as well, the 5G speeds. Is it important? Talking actually about 5G, not what you use it for, but talking about 5G or the properties of 5G. Yeah, speed. And how does uh, how does 5G compare to 4G? Mm. So we had an episode where we talked to Rainer Ludwig about 5G speed. Very interesting episode. And we used an analogy there, talking about highways as an analogy for 4G and 5G. And how do they differ? So let's hear that. Think of 4G as a, let's say, a three-way highway. So the more cars you have on the three-way highway, you know, the higher the risk for congestion and unhappy drivers in their cars. And think of 5G as a 30-lane highway. So suddenly you can cope with way more traffic and you're going to be way less likely to hit congestion. You're going to have a smooth ride from your hometown to when you visit your parents. So that's how I explain 4G and 5G. 5G is just, you know, Instead of a three-lane highway, it's a 30-lane highway, and suddenly we can cope with way more traffic and have mo- because we're all sharing the same highway. That's what 4G mm. and 5G is about. But that's an interesting analogy because if it, you know in that analogy, if you, the app that you're using or the, the service you're trying to use, that's a bit like the vehicle in that it's the vehicle that sets the speed that you can do. Even if the highway is empty, then the speed is still set by the vehicle you, you're driving. So, you know, the app knows how much traffic it needs to be able to deliver a good service. And that's what it's trying to get all the time. Exactly right. So, you know, if we stay with this analogy and 4G is a three-way highway, a three-lane highway, now you're using, say, YouTube. You know, YouTube will be sending a series of cars to you, all these data packets. Every data packet corresponds to a car. But if there's too much traffic on that highway, then there might be congestion and then you you will get freezing in your YouTube video or you know, it will be chunky and not playing well or that's when you get the spinning wheel. But now if you move over to a 30-lane highway, your packets coming your way, these little cars are w- way more unlikely to hit any congestion. Now we're going to have a very smooth YouTube experience. And that's what it's about. And what we see in our measurements with this new capabilities that we have in our products, we can see that many 4G networks are just you know, hitting the limits, even though the operator has deployed all their 4G spectrum in certain areas and the busy areas, they just cannot deploy anymore. You know, they have hit the roof. There's nothing more they can do. And still we see, based on our measurements, that users are not happy. We can measure that they're not getting the 20 megabits down or one megabit up at busy times. This is, you know, one of the novelties that we have in our Ericsson Radio system software. We can measure each and every user experience. So we can see exactly when a user doesn't get that speed. And given that we now provide this to our customers, the customers can now see, aha, where are the busy areas? Where should I start deploying 5G? Because most operators just don't, you know, blanket the country with 5G. You know, they put, you know, a little bit of 5G here, a little bit of 5G there. They, of course, always start with the busy places or with the more urban places. But still, there are many areas, doesn't have to be urban places, that are still congested. And how does the operator know this? They need to have capabilities to measure this. And this is exactly what we provide with our latest software. Yeah, I think it's a really good analogy there with the lanes, the traffic lanes, that you have a lot more to play with when you have 5G compared to 4G. But it's, of course, all what you do with it. But also that it's not just the bandwidth of 5G, 
we also needed to think about this year, we learned, the transport networks, because they can be sort of like a bottleneck sometimes if you don't have the, the transport network and the speed there. We did a podcast from this year's 5G Transport Summit in Gothenburg earlier this year. We talked to Fabian Josefsson from Telia about the difference of 5G transport compared to 4G and what is synchronization. For the transport network, you know, for 5G, what do you see the main differences compared to the things that we did previously for 4G? I would say the, the main changes compared to 4G is uh, the capacity, of course. It's increasing. You're shifting from 1G to, to 10G connections. The synchronization requirement is also one topic that is, is very hot for the 5G part mm. and, and also needs to be considered and carefully planned. Yeah. Okay. Can you do maybe, because not everyone that listens is an expert in transport, can you explain a little bit then about what is synchronization and why is it important and what makes it difficult? It's, 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 yeah, that, that's uh, very give good. you a challenge. It's a good challenge. Yeah, 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 for sure. But uh, if you put it for, for a TDD spectrum in 5G, the requirement from uh, 3GPP is 1.5 plus minus 1.5 microsecond. And that means that you are not allowed to transmit any packet from the, the 5G base station if they are not within that time and phase accuracy. So uh, if you compare it, it, it's like if you watch, it always needs to be plus minus one and a half microsecond correct. If it's not, then you're not allowed to transmit any packets because then you're starting to interfere with yourself or your competitors. Yeah, and, and TDD, of course, is, is time division. Time, time division, so, yes. So the, both the transmit signal from you to the base station and from the base station to you are happening on the same frequency band. Exactly. But you're sending and receiving at different times. You can say you, you, you transmit and listen, transmit and listen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important that everyone listens at the same time and yeah. transmits, transmits when there's it, both. It's the same when we are talking right now. <laughs> if you should talk at the same time, I yes. think it would be a little bit challenging to, at least for your listeners. Yeah. Yeah. And this TDD is something that, that is very much something that was introduced many networks with the 5G. Yeah. The 4G was very much, you know, uh, based on FDD or non-TDD. And, uh, you know, therefore it is a new requirement for many, many, you know, transport networks in 5G. That was talking about the importance of transport networks in the dimensioning and the capacity of transport networks. That episode also talked about something which we're going to talk more about in this podcast, and that's energy efficiency. Mm. Energy efficiency was one of the topics that we talked about throughout the mm. year, Janina. Yeah. But uh, two clips here coming up, both talking about topics of energy efficiency, slightly different aspects. Cecilia Atteval, who's going to talk about energy efficiency in the networks and some of the software features we introduced back at uh, Mobile World Congress. And then we have uh, Uwe Passion, Ericsson's energy performance expert, and he is explaining about data and energy. And we also talk a little bit about the service provider E&T, Etisalat Group. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But, but how do you see communications playing a role in sustainability and actually, you know, bringing down climate impact? I think it's if you look to the telecommunications industry, of course, there are, I think, two main areas you could think of. One is how do we as an industry ourselves become mm. more sustainable? 
how do we work with the energy consumed for the network so that we can really, because again, as I said, it's, it's the majority of, of the energy consumed with our industry is when the networks are up and running. And the best way that you can address this is, of course, by not using energy at all when you don't have to. So I, I'm super proud that we were nominated by Telefonic get together for the software and services that we do for something called, for example, deep sleep, that we, we allow our equipment to go into deep sleep, not consuming energy and any energy when not needed. So I think that's kind of thing. But the other one is, of course, how you can, how you can utilize technology for the benefit of a whole lot of other industries and society. So with everything that comes with digitalization and communication that you, for example, wouldn't have to ship goods or you wouldn't have to travel because you find other means of reaching your objective, leveraging uh, communications. I think you had a question about that data and energy are linked in a way. And I think that's a good starting point for the discussion. I think because a year ago, we actually had an article in Mobile Report also that we called Building Sustainable Networks, where we showed that the data growth in mobile networks over the last 10 years, then 2011 to 2021, was growing about 287 times, while the mobile energy only grew 1.6 times. So I think this is important to understand. They don't follow the same growth curves. And I think that, so we see good ways to handle the data growth going forward, as projected by Peter in his fantastic report. But I think it's still a challenge because we need to continue to be developing really great technology to handle this. And 5G is, of course, part of that puzzle to solve that. But in this report, we have a report about a very forward-leaning operator from UAE, sort of the uh, E-end, uh, formerly called Etisalat. Oh, is that how you call them? E-end? I've always thought, like, because they are E and then a, an A-and sign? Amber, ampersand. Amber sign, yeah. E-and? Yeah, Peter, maybe you know better than I. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's their rebranding. It's E-and uh, that they are at the former Etisalat group. Yeah. 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 It's E-and, but in Arabic. Ah. But I think the, the, the article is in a good way describing their holistic approach to sustainability and, and also their approach on working on managing this growing and concern related to data traffic growth. From that perspective, I think they are describing a very nice approach on how they look to meet their net zero targets going forward. Because they started off with plans to modernize their network and then at the same time lower the energy consumption, right? Yeah, yeah. I think what we found is that modernization is key in mobile networks to lower the total network energy consumption. I mean, if you, if you have a network, and then you add the most energy efficient technology on top of that. Let's say you add 5G, which is the most energy efficient technology. You're still going to add new equipment on top of your existing network. So if you don't do anything more than that, you're actually adding energy since you're adding more equipment out to the network. So you need to find a way to, to re reduce the energy consumption in your existing network to make room for the budget and your budget of the new equipment. So modernization is a key part of that. We usually say from a global perspective, mobile networks are having a small impact. Our research shows that the mobile networks represent 0.6% of all electricity use in the world. That's quite low. And also from a carbon emission point of view, we say it's 0.2% of the emissions in the world globally. So from that perspective, it 
great that we have this low impact because mobile networks becoming a, a true enabler of digitalization in the society. And as Peter was saying, it's the first choice to internet access in, in many countries. I think that's really a great step forward. But for an operator, it's quite expensive with their energy anyway. And we did an estimate two and a half years ago that globally mobile operators are paying 25 billion US dollars annually for sort of energy for the networks. That is quite a lot of money. And that was before the pandemic, that was before the financial chaos or chaos, maybe the, 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 the energy crisis, let's say that at least. And now we expect that the, the, this is cost is even higher than this. Yeah. And of course, with current energy price chaos, <laughs> the, the, the crisis, energy price crisis in Europe, I mean, this, this is high up on the service providers agenda uh, out there to be more energy efficient. And then you don't want those bills to go up a skyrocket. It seems like that the sea and it is a lot that they have a, quite a big goal here with being um, net zero by 2030, following the country goal and the Paris Agreement there, which is great. And they seem to have a, a lot of different ways to make sure that this comes to fruition. And one of them was also, I think, going from diesel powered site to perhaps solar powered or wind powered. It seems to be a, a good place for solar power. <laughs> yes, exactly. It, it, from a solar perspective, yes, but they, they also have sandstorms. So it's kind of a challenging environment to have solar set up. We have that from many customers in the region. So, but of course, using renewable energy, it could be solar panels, it could be wind farms and fuel cells. But I mean, in combination with sort of lithium ion batteries on the site, you can actually uh, a very energy lean site, as well as running most of the time more renewable energy. Given that you're off grid in a sense, if you're on grid, you will use the electricity from the grid, of course. Yeah. But you mm. can also do combinations of that to handle price peaks and, and other sort of, yeah, depending on the grid energy mix. And it also seems to be quite cool the way they are now using that the sites sort of go down or turn off during some hours of the day when the traffic is not so big, those kinds of sleep mode. We've heard about those in the podcast before, and that's also a way to, to save on a lot of energy for networks, right? It is. Sleep modes are a smart way of using low traffic periods to switch off parts of your equipment. It could be antenna branches or even sort of even cell and frequency bands. And you do that on capacity layers in a sense. You, you keep the coverage layer in a smart way. So you always have access as a user. But I think Etisalat has, uh, or EAND has done a lot of improvements here. They're using a lot of smart functions that works on a short range. And what we have within Airson called Microsleep TX that sort of uses short periods of non, where you don't need to transmit as a, from the radio, to switch off the radio. And then longer periods when you can utilize and putting equipment into some, some longer sleep modes, like as I said, switching off antenna branches or flipping the set completely. So, Janina, <laughs> there we have it. There we have it. 2022, in not so many clips. In what, 11 episodes? Did we do 11 episodes this yeah, year? Something like that. Is that including this one or without? Without sure. this one. Whoa. Set a challenge to do more episodes last year. But then I was away 
on a long holiday hiking in the Brynnes. Yes, yes, indeed. So even though it's cold and snowy, I've got some warm hiking under my belt to look back yeah. on. So not just the 5G podcast, you've also done a lot of walking. I have. <laughs> yeah. But we'd like to thank all our listeners for sticking with us through the year. Yes. And have a good holiday. We'll be back after Hogmanay. We will actually be back with a little bit of, of a special episode, like a bonus episode. Are we going to tell people about that or is it just going to land in their, in their feed? Yeah, before the year end, we will also release a little bit of a bonus episode. It won't be so much about 5G. It won't be so much about 5G. No. But it will be an interesting look at innovation, which is kind of about 5G. Yeah. 5G's, uh, there's a lot of innovation goes into 5G as well. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the episode very briefly, Janina. We have an advert for it. Then let's play the advert. <laughs> Hi, my name is Peter Marshall, and I am the global mentor for the Ericsson Innovation Awards. The Ericsson Innovation Award has one major objective, to get fantastic ideas from universities across the world. And this year we had 700 incredible ideas, such a diverse mix of ideas that really stretched everybody's imagination. We're now at a point where we're looking at the three finalists in December, and those three finalists will really make a difference to the future. And I can't wait to award them a prize of 25,000 euros. And I can't wait to tell you all about who won and why they won. So we have a little bit of a bonus episode, which will not be so much about 5G. But we haven't recorded this yet when we are doing this episode. So we don't know what we're going to get. But we really hope that you will enjoy our bonus episode. We don't know what we're going to talk about in the bonus episode, but we don't normally know what we're going to We know what we're talking about, Paul. We're just not sure what we're going to say. What we're going to say. (laughs) But hey, we didn't know what we were going to say in this episode either. So (laughs) thanks everyone for listening to our ramblings. Bye. Bye. Remember to like, comment, subscribe. If you like this podcast, it really helps. We have a great team of people we're working with, but when it comes down to it, a lot of work is done by us too. And we weren't hired to do podcasting, Paul. We're not. I'm not getting paid for this. (laughs) (laughs) So please, if you want us to continue, give us some good reviews and recommend us to your colleagues. And if you want to contact us, email is best. And which email is it, Paul? 5G podcast at ericsson.com. Ah, you're so great. And, you know, out there, we love your suggestions and feedback. So please reach out to us.
Ericsson is a Swedish multinational networking and telecommunications company started in 1876 and headquartered in Schiester, just outside Stockholm. We sell infrastructure, software and services in the information and communications technology for telecommunications service providers and enterprises, including, among others, 3G, 4G and 5G equipment and IP and optical transport systems. We employ around 100,000 people and operate in more than 180 countries worldwide. Ericsson has over 57,000 granted patents and has been a major contributor to the development of the telecommunications industry and is one of the leaders in 5G.